This is Danny Fingeroth, and you are listening to Superior Spider Talk. Welcome to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the editor of GrindMyReels.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for the 11th episode of Superior Spider Talk. Wow, we're in the double digits. Should have realized that last time. We're at the, the, the first Doc Arc, Arc two-parter arc, if we were ASM right now. You are, uh, you are quite, quite the fan. There we are. <laughs> we hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Or drawing, yes. really. It's, it's a huge picture. Um, but episode 11 is yet another one of our special Superior Spider Talk and Friends editions. And is one of the five podcasts we will be releasing over the next week, which includes interviews from the Connecticut Comic-Con event we attended on August 24th. So far, you should have heard from the great writers and creators J.M. DeMatteis, Mark Bagley, and Tom DeFalco. Now we got Danny Figueroth, and we have one more after this, which is Jim Salakrup. Uh, Danny Figueroth had, was a writer on multiple Spider-Man titles throughout the 80s and 90s, like Web of Spider-Man and The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. And he was also a group editor of all the Spider-Books during the 80s and 90s. Uh, he oversaw some really uh, fascinating times on the Spider-Man titles, like the, some of the High Goblin Saga stuff, uh, Clone Saga stuff, uh, really ran the gamut. Um, so this is uh, going to be a fun little interview, I think. Yeah, all of the controversial arcs, I think, fell under his purview. So I think you'll have a lot of fun listening to this uh, interview. So why don't we let Danny take it away? Sounds good. Take it away, Danny. His amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. All right, it's Mark Janakio again here from the floor of Connecticut Comic Con here with uh, Danny Figueroa, who uh, is a longtime Marvel guy. Uh, he uh, wrote a number of Spider-Man issues over the years, also was editor for the title, uh, uh, for a few of the titles for a few years. Uh, Danny, thanks for coming on. Um, I was the editor of all the Spider-Man you were all titles of for many years. Okay, I'm, I, I'm not trying to short sell you. That's I'm okay, sorry. I just want to, I just want to. <laughs> I'm like running, I was, yeah, I was, I was what's called a group editor. Okay, I was, I was, I was running the checklist on my head, I'm like, Web of Spectacular Amazing, yeah. I, that should be all three at the time, but I just wanted to make sure. Web of Spectacular Amazing, Adjectiveless, yes. <laughs> uh, Marvel Team-Up, uh, uh, Spider-Man Annuals, all the ma- many um, spin-offs and miniseries. Yes, and yeah, including the uh, the Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. I wrote the Deadly Foes and Lethal Foes, yes. and the Spider-Man Friends and Enemies. Yes, have you have you checked out the new Superior Foes that that's, uh, recently uh, came out with the Nick Spencer, Steve 
Weaver series. I have not, but I look forward to uh, getting some free copies from somebody. Okay. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what, what, what your take on, on their on their faux team concept is. Uh, yeah, I would be curious. I, I um, you know, I, I like the I like the initial concept of uh, Peter and uh, Doc Ock sharing a brain. I like that idea. Yes. Uh, and, and I think I mean the the foes that they center on in that are a couple of the guys that were uh, in deadly foes like Boomerang uh-huh. and Speed Demon and um, was there anyone else at that 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 from both Dan? I'm, I'm trying to remember. Okay, here. okay, it's fine. Uh, but let's let's start with um, sure one of your earlier tiles as editor, which was uh, 251, right? That was when you first Amazing Spider-Man first took over. Um, uh, no, no, I've been I've been uh, I was editing it for quite a while, for about a close to a year before that. Okay. But, um, t- but I'm happy to talk about 251. Well, I, 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 for me, it's an interesting issue just because it, it was the transition from Roger Stern to Tom DeFalco. Right. And, you know, of course, they were in the middle of the, the famed Who Was the Hobgoblin arc. Right. And, you know, as an editor, how, how did you kind of usher the, the transfer, so to speak? I mean, in terms of, it sounded like Roger had his ideas for the character and the mystery element, and then Tom decided to go in a different direction. And kind of where did you figure into all that? Well, don't forget that Tom had been the editor before I was. So Tom was intimately involved with uh, the mystery, and while he may have had a different idea than Roger, Tom is a very resourceful guy, so he's always got, you know, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, up till about plan Q. So it really it was with both Tom and Roger. It was just a matter of picking which of the good ideas, you know, uh, appealed to me and seemed to work best with the character. You know, they th- those are those are both guys who were idea machines. So with that, so where I where I came in was just as a sounding board and as um, you know, and ultimately as the editor, you represent. You're in this strange position of representing the. Uh, you know, creative people to the company and the company to the creative people. So you, it's, it's just this balancing act, you know, of, uh, of trying to... And you ultimately um, need... Your ultimate loyalty has to be to the character because the character will be along, around longer than than anybody who's working on it in, uh, in, in creative, editorial, or executive positions, and you sort of feel... You know, I don't want to get all uh, all uh, profound here, but you, you do feel a responsibility to the long-term love that people will have for for these characters. Um, I mean, dealing specifically with. Um, Hobgoblin, because it seems that that character, this, this, I, I almost feel like there's a saga behind the saga there, or a story behind the story. I mean, did you, Tom? When we, we were talking to Tom today as well, and he had mentioned he had talked to Roger to get some of his ideas and where he was headed, um, where he decided to do his thing. I mean, did you, did you do the same with Roger for that? I mean, to see, try and keep some consistency with with where the story was headed. Um, now, uh, this is many years ago. So oh, um, <laughs> I'm testing your memory. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> you know, Roger was, uh, as was his right, was was pretty um, protective of his ideas. Um, so I think when he left the book, I don't remember having a discussion with him about uh, who it was. I probably, since Tom had been the editor before, I probably discussed it more with Tom than with Roger. Um, uh, 
so I, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I, yeah, it was, I think by that point had we, we had finished a storyline uh, with unmasking him. I think, I think we knew that we weren't going to unmask him in the, uh, in 251. Uh, although it did have the cover with Spider-Man's uh, hand rising from the uh, river with the mask. But I think we knew that in the story we weren't going to reveal it. And we'd already done the big deal where we revealed uh, uh, we had a red herring. We revealed somebody to be the Hobgoblin who wasn't really the Hobgoblin. Um, so at that point, Tom was the writer. And uh, I, you know, I honestly... You know, that's a good question, but I cannot remember any master plan. You know, I think I may at some point have found out who Roger intended it to be, and we decided not, you know, out of, out of respect for Roger, actually, to not do that, you know, and sort of go in a different direction. And um, I guess ultimately he was revealed what to be Ned Leeds by uh, Peter David, was the, and yeah. Tom and I were both gone from the books by then, I think. Right. Um. To kind of transition to, to your other... I wish I had a more exciting answer for no, you. No, that's but, okay. Know. That's that, it's, it's an honest the answer. The story there. behind the story is that um, you have a lot of talented professionals working together, and uh, on a monthly magazine that's part of a even... That's part of the Spider-Man sub-universe within the Marvel Universe, and you have so many great toys to play with and great um, story options that if, that if someone... Uh, leaves and takes their story with them. There's 20 different directions you can go. Uh, as Robert Crumb said, it's just lines on paper, folks. Yes. <laughs> um, and kind of dealing with that universe and how the, the Spider-Man experience, uh, universe really started expanding. Now, you you wrote a lot of Web of Spider-Man when it was in its infancy, correct? Right. Um, so what, I mean... What were what were the intentions for that title? I mean, was it meant to just be an, an addendum to what was going on in Spectacular and Amazing? Did, was it trying to go for something different? What was um, what was your take as the writer in terms of how you approach those issues? Well, I thought it was the most important of the books. Of course, <laughs> um, you have to. Um, you know, it's one. It's sort of it's a tautology. It's like Amazing is the main book because it's the main book, and yet. If you put, I don't know, if you put uh, Frank Miller and Chris Claremont and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Dan Green, uh, you know, I mean, if, you put, if you put a superstar team on Web of Spider-Man, then, then that would, you know, give the books a run for its money. I think the initial impetus for Web of Spider-Man was that uh, I think Jim Shooter felt that having something called Marvel Team-Up was sort of an artificial way of having Spider-Man Team-Up. In other words, you knew every issue would be a Team-Up because of its title. That was, um, And I think Jim felt that, uh, that it might be a better idea to have it happen organically. So Spider-Man might team up in any one of his books with another character. Um, you know, look, there's an argument to be made either way. I mean, certainly if you have a book called Marvel Team-Up, then you know that every issue, there will be a Marvel Team-Up. Uh, so there's something to be said for that. But So that was the initial impetus, and I think there's a certain 
I guess while we acknowledge that Amazing was the lead book, and that you know, and and, and that since it was the first one. I think we all tried to, to raise our game and do as well as we could, and because you know, there's no reason the others couldn't be the lead book, you know, except there's like legacy. I mean, I guess now currently what they do with Spider-Man is, is all there is is Amazing Spider-Man, but it comes out pretty much weekly, right? Uh, well, they do two, they do two two superiors, but now they they, they, do, they ah, okay. do a team up again, which is which is kind of fun how they how they brought that. Back. Yeah, every idea goes away and comes yeah. back, and nothing that you know. I mean, you know, something. That Something that was old hat for one generation is some suddenly new for the next generation. Um, now, one of your first arcs on Web of as writer was the the Doc Ock arc, right? right. Um, and now that was, if, if, if my memory serves me, that was I think one of the first Spidey Doc Ock fights since the the, the Owl Octopus War saga that was kind of like advertised as the big end all battle between the two of them. So, right. so kind of re, you know reintroducing this classic character. What was? Um, do you remember how that idea came about? I mean, was it just well, it's time to do another Doc Ock story, or or was there um, for you? Was that a story that you really wanted to tell to, to kind of? Well, I mean, I really you know when you you know any character with their with their most closely identified nemesis is always a challenge because you know no matter how many ways you find to kill Doc Ock, he's coming back. Right. <laughs> and if you don't do it, then the next guy after you will do it. But some way or another, you know, he's getting, you know, no matter how many atoms you vaporize him into, somehow or another he's coming back. You know, that's, uh, um, so you, you know, I, I think what I, I remember what I was taking off from was I liked what uh, John Byrne had done with him in Fantastic Four and the way he'd established a certain mindset and uh, and motivation and, and phobias for, for Ock, and I kind of took off from there. Um, and then just, you know, again, it's hard. It's like 30 uh, years, but that, as I recall, that was uh, my intention. And, and, and yeah, you know, yes, you definitely wanted to have the classic villains and have them in Web of Spider-Man. Uh, and and give um, you know give that title uh, uh, you know a, a chance to get off the ground with some high profile stories. Uh, while I think in those days we were very committed to keeping the comics tied in, the, the titles tied in with each other. You know, in effect, you know, the, I, I I think um, I've I've heard different people at different times say you know that. Uh, Web would be the grim, green noir, and spectacular would be more about Peter, and amazing would be about the bugle. But those rules always last about two issues, and then they all just. <laughs> and then it's like if some if a writer has if a writer has an idea for a story that's good and there's a deadline, it's going to whatever book it fit. You know, it, you know, the editor's not going to go. You know, oh, that's not noir enough. Uh, I don't know if there's enough dark darkness and uh, and human desperation there. It's right. like, you know, if somebody comes to you with a good story, um, so uh, so that yeah, the intention was yeah, how do we bring Doc Ock back and and bring it in such a way that it's it makes sense with what's gone before, and yet builds him up to uh, be a great uh, a great villain again. Now, fast forwarding a bit to the '90s. Um, 
you were you were editor for a ton of titles in the nineties, right? You are and, correct. We had a ton and, of titles. And, and, I, well, and I was that was describe to me that process from your end because I mean, you know, it's one thing when you're writing the books, but to be overseeing so many titles and and you know, this one has foil and this one has hologram and and I mean, well, is, <laughs> look as as editors and writers and creators, and I like to think of editors as being creators, although I realize uh, that you know there's some people who might debate that. But you know, you can tell a line of books, uh, an editor's line of books. Editors have a significant, you know, uh, influence uh, for better or, or worse on their books. Um, I hope for better in my case, but uh, your mileage may differ. Um, <laughs> Um, so, your job, as I, as I just, you know, as I said, you know, is to make stories as good as you can that sell as well as they possibly can, uh, and to do that with the best possible creators that you can find and that, and that you can, uh, you know, that you're able to have a good working chemistry with and that have a good working chemistry with each other. So, with the boom of the 80s and 90s, you know, Spider-Man and the X-Men were the two uh, biggest lines of Marvel, and of course the people whose job it is to maximize profits in the company say, we need to put out a lot more Spider-Man product, and so your job as the editor, or the group editor, which is what I was, um, becomes, how do we, you know, how do we answer those commercial imperatives and the demands of the fans who are buying the comics and still have some integrity in the books, you know, and that's, and so that's, so my concern was, you know, was largely with the stories, of course, and the art and how they, and to have the stories hang together but also exist independently. And if we did a miniseries, you know, to, to have it, you know, to have the characters that would spin off have interest on their own as characters, not just as Spider-Man uh, appendages, so to speak. Um, so, um, you know, it was it was hard. You know, the holograms and the 3D and the foil. Uh, all I can say is, if you think we did a lot, you should have seen how much they wanted us to do. Uh, yeah. Right. What you saw was the result of pushback from editorial saying, "No, we can't put foil on every issue, much as you'd like to." Um, and uh, you know, and again, it it, it becomes the, the perspectives are different. The marketing and business perspectives are, "Oh, we put foil on an issue, it sold. Let's put foil on lots more issues." And from editorial, the point of view is, "No, the foil sold." because it was a special thing and if you put it on every issue people will eventually desert you because they will you know so so I always fought to have a plain vanilla version of whatever we were doing which sometimes I succeeded at that sometimes not um, and and you know it be look it, it's sort of it's it becomes this kind of um, uh, what this whirlpool of 
success and pressure because everybody's making a lot of money. Your creators are happy because they're making a lot of money, but you know they're also unhappy because the in a situation like that, editorial ends up dictating a lot of the content. And that's where that's where having writers and artists that work well together and that you work well with together is important because then you can actually make it a collaborative thing. And if you say to them, we need to do, we need to accomplish X, Y, and Z, instead of like you know going into like silent passive aggressive mode, they go, okay, how do we accomplish X, Y, and Z in the best way that everybody's happy? So it's it's a very mixed bag. As I say, it's like. It, you, you, you know, everybody's suddenly buying apartments and cars and fancy clothes and, you know, so it's, it, it's, hard, it's hard to complain a whole lot, even if, even if that's the result of, you know, the marketing department going, we need more product. So you just try to make that product as good as possible and, and again, hope that, you know, that the readers are happy with it. That's, that's sort of all you can do. Is there a Spider-Man project that you worked on, you know, in any capacity that you have like a particular sense of pride in more than the others, or, or you know, kind of like your your, your favorite child, so to speak? Or, yeah. Uh... Well, of course, you know, the the thing you're working on at the moment is always your favorite child. The, you know, I, I I like the idea of because uh, it was my idea, to be honest, of of bringing back Peter's parents. It was tricky to do, and, uh, you know, at that, at that point, the character had only been around for 30 years, you know, but, you know, but he'd been established as having parents. They had that one annual in the 60s where they were shown to be agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and, you know, which, which you know, I never... I don't think anybody ever loved that because everybody liked the idea of Peter's parents being just regular people, but that was something they did. It was, you know, as a kid, I certainly had no problem with it. Um, and so you go, okay, how do we work that into the continuity? And, and But in general, I just felt like oh, we've, re- we've rung every change on Aunt May being dead and not dead, you know. Uncle Ben, you know, I don't think has been brought back to life yet, you know. No. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that, I'm waiting for that to happen, but you know, so they they did every kind of variation and riff and uh, uh, and possible thing, and yet nobody had ever said Peter's parents are back. And I thought, well, let's. You know, I, I don't think. You know, I don't think it'll really be them. I was willing to leave the door open to maybe. You know, but the plan always was what it worked out to be that they were androids of some kind. But if we got an zillion letter saying don't kill them, we'll keep. You know, then. I, I had left enough doors open that we could make them permanent. I don't. I don't think it would have been good for the mythology for his parents to permanently be back. And the hardest thing was, of course, if they were not his parents and if they were sent by an enemy, then why was his spider sense not going off? So that that was sort of the trickiest thing to Vanessa, and that's the trickiest thing about Spider-Man. Is the that's really the most unique thing he has is that spider that you know that danger warning sense. Uh, so once we figured out a way to at least uh, deal with that, then the parents were back, and then you know, and then eventually it culminated in, in, in the way. But I, I was, I was proud of that, and I, and I did. I always liked the hobgoblin stuff. The Tom, I thought, you know, I thought friend, the DeFalco and friends, I think, were one of the great Spider-Man teams of all time, and one of the great Thor teams of all time. You know, they're just a great team, and uh, you know, I guess I technically am the one who put them together, although they knew each other. 
from before because Tom had been Ron's editor, but I've been Ron's editor, and, and uh, it was just a great uh, stroke of good fortune. You know, they really jazz each other up and they bounce ideas back and forth and it really it's one of those instances you know like Lee and Kirby like Lee and Ditko whatever whatever issues there may have been between them as people their work was seamless you know and, and I think uh, Ron and Tom same kind of thing well, well, Danny, we certainly appreciate this this stroll down memory lane. In terms of what you're currently up to, do you want do you want to plug any work that you have? Sure. Going on right well, now? one of my most recent books is called it's called the Stanley Universe. It's from Tomorrow's, and uh, and it's uh, I went to Stan's archives at the University of Wyoming, and found a lot of incredible material, interviews with him and Kirby. Uh, from the 60s, um, just um, letters to and from Stan, pages from the screenplay he wrote for Elaine Renee, uh, just remarkable stuff, uh, interviews by, with, about, uh, memorabilia about Stan, that's from tomorrow's The Stanley Universe. Uh, I'm working on a graphic novel uh, with Rick Geary uh, about the life story of Jack Ruby, the guy who killed Lee Harvey Oswald, which when it comes out will blow your mind. That should be somewhere in the next year or two. And uh, I'm doing a lot of work with the Wizard World conventions uh, with their programming. And I'm teaching comics writing to the Media Bistro, which is an online uh, uh, media uh, clearinghouse. So you can take it from anywhere. So www.mediabistro.com, uh, and it starts in October, so you can sign up if you want to learn how to write comics. And uh, dannyfingeroth.com for information, as well as my Facebook page. So that's uh, that's some of the stuff I'm working on. Excellent. Well, we, we look forward to... As I, I'm very interested in hearing about that Jack Ruby graphic novel. That sounds great. I will and, tell you more about it. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, you know, just thanks again for, for joining us here, and, and we really appreciate you spending the time. It's my pleasure. Thanks, guys. So thanks again to Danny Fingeroth for taking the time to speak to us. And uh, please be on the lookout for uh, the, all of our other Superior Aspire Talk and Friends episodes as they get released in the near future. Of course, there's really only one left at this point. That's Jim Salakrup, the uh, Marvel group editor for the Spider-Man titles during uh, some of the biggest runs in the 80s and 90s. Um, so that, that should be a really great conversation for you all as well. Um, and uh, what else can we do right now, Dan? What, where can we find your stuff? Well, if you're really bored, Mark, you can check out my website, grindmyreels.com, and see all my movie reviews and lists and Netflix recommendations and all that fun stuff for your media-loving mind. And you can follow me on Twitter at at Dan Gavazdin. How about and you, Mark? Well, if you're really bored, Dan, or if you just want to read exclusively about Spider-Man, which who on this podcast listening to it wouldn't, 
You can find me. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can find me at chasingamazingblog.com or follow me on Twitter at chasingasmblog. Like me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash chasingamazing. I actually recently gave away a, a digital code to Avengers 18 for getting 300 likes, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, you can also find me on my weekly gimmick or good uh, column at Comics Should Be Good Blog. And don't forget that you can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes, which I think is far easier, by searching for Superior Spider Talk or just Spider Man, really. And if you do, don't forget to leave a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing. And we promise you that we'll read it on the air. And if you have any opinions on these comics or these creators or any questions for us, email them to us at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com and we'll also read and address those on the air. We'll do a lot of things for no and money all, at all. And all of it on the air. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. On the literal air. Well, you know, Dan, we, we do all these things because of the advice of our great Uncle Ben. Oh which my is, goodness, it was, it was the best of advice. Yeah, well actually it really wasn't from Uncle Ben. It was just on the last panel of Amazing Fantasy 15. But we're going to cite it from Uncle Ben anyway. And that advice is, with great podcasts comes superior spider talk. <laughs>